Okay, let's turn to our scripture that can be found on the back of the bulletin, or I can be found on the screen. This is what it says. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of the Lord. Well, I was sitting with my wife watching TV when both of our phones simultaneously made a little beep. And we looked at them, and it was a tornado watch uh, from the uh, whoever does the tornado watch, those ethereal people. I don't know. <laughs> but it essentially said, uh, you know, tornado watch in your area, get to someplace safe. Um, and so uh, rather than panicking, we, uh, we, we uh, found out it was in Chesapeake, and we we calmed down. I grew up in Tornado Alley in Dallas, so uh, it's not my first rodeo. But uh, nevertheless, uh, luckily, we, we were okay there. I hope the folks in Chesapeake were okay. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting. There, there are many things to fear in this world, aren't they? Whether it be tornado watches, um, we all experienced uh, COVID and are still experiencing it. And uh, the things that came along with that, uh, when we recognize and realize that the world is not as stable as we think it is, right? We've known fear in our own hearts and in our own lives. The thing about fear is it, it threatens to paralyze us. It overwhelms us. It keeps us from really living. And so the question we're going to examine today is, what are we to do with fear? I want you to imagine, what would your life look like without fear? How would you live your life if you were not afraid? I think you'd have confidence to live out your convictions, your hopes, and your dreams. There'd be a certain sense of boldness 
uh, as you walked about your life, probably joy. The reason I bring all this up is because this is one of the reasons why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you and I might live a fearless life. And so in the next three hours that we have together, we're going to look at how he can give us freedom from fear. How can Jesus give us freedom from fear? Number one, we need to know his identity. We need to know who he is. Number two, we need to embrace his promise. We need to know his identity. We need to embrace his promise. And finally, number three, we need to accept his offer. So let's look at these three points. The number first point is to know his identity. We need to know who this person is, Jesus, who is talking. Recently, last week, I, I preached the passage before this. Jesus spent time talking about the fact that he is a shepherd. And people, his, his people are his sheep. And he leads them into safety. Jesus also said that he has the authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up again. Now, the things that Jesus have been saying are so controversial that the people are divided about him. Some say that he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? But there are these other people who are saying these aren't the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. In fact, he opened the eyes of a blind man. And so that comes to this passage right here in John 10, 24, when the Jews are gathering around him and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They want the, him to come out and say it. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Now, what are they really asking? We need to understand what this word Christ means. We hear it all the time. Jesus Christ. Well, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. The word Christ means anointed. Anointed means set apart. In the Old Testament, when God chose a king, he would send a prophet to that king, and that king would take oil, and he would place it on his forehead to anoint him, to set him apart as the king. And in the Old Testament, God said that he would send an anointed one, a, a special one, and this one would be above any king. He would come and bring salvation and redemption for his people. And there were numerous passages in the Old Testament that were talking about this anointed one who would come. In fact, here's one of them. This is Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is appoint, uh, upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. See, this is what the anointed is supposed to do. But the Jews want a Messiah, not as one who brings spiritual salvation. They're looking for a political savior. They're looking for a king who will come and deliver them from the Romans. See, they've overlooked the Messiah, the Christ's role as a spiritual savior, as a deliverer from sin and Satan. And so this is why Jesus is not answering. This is why he's, he's, he's talking around who he is. But notice what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus answered them to this question, tell us plainly who you are. I told you, and you do not believe. 
The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, I've already told you who I am by the things that I've said. And what are some of the things that Jesus has said already? That I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the door. And if anyone enters through me, he will have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never be hungry. And whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty. In other words, Jesus has been explaining to these people and explaining to us who he really is. But notice that he says, I told you. And also he says, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, I've not only told you, but I've shown you. And what are the things that Jesus has already done that we've looked at? He's fed 5,000 people from a, a sack lunch. He's opened the eyes of a blind man. He's made the paralyzed walk. He's forgiven a woman caught in adultery of her sin. In other words, Jesus is saying, you should know who I am. But he goes on in verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. In other words, you don't understand. You don't believe because you aren't the one who I've come for. The only people who can recognize Jesus are the ones who, who are, Jesus calls his sheep. Because they're the only ones that could recognize that he is a shepherd. In other words, you can't recognize and realize who Jesus is by simply being a non-committed observer. It's only when you see him as a master, then it becomes clear who Jesus is. Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But Jesus continues on. He, in essence, is saying, I am the Savior, but I'm so much more than you think I am. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is saying, I have the authority to give eternal life to people. Only God has the power to give eternal life. Now, what exactly does eternal life mean anyways? Does it mean physically living forever? Well, yes, in one sense, that's true. But if eternal life means that I simply continue living in my current city, riding the merry-go-round of this world through all eternity, then Frankly, I'm not that overly excited about it. No, Jesus is talking about more than simply quantity. He's talking about quality. See, you can be in perfect health and be miserable. There's a difference between eternal living and eternal life. Jesus is saying that I have come to not only give eternal living, but I've come to satisfy the soul. I've come to fill that emptiness that you experience in your heart. Every now and then, you and I have felt a trace of it. That sense of wholeness, that all was right and good and beautiful. But it's elusive, right? This soul satisfaction. C.S. Lewis spoke of an inconsolable longing in the human heart for we know not what. He described it as a desire for our own far-off country, 
for something that we have never actually, has never actually appeared in our experience. He called it that unnameable something, that desire for which pierces us like a sword at the smell of a bonfire, the sound of wild ducks flying overhead, morning cobwebs in late summer, or the noise of falling waves. He's talking about soul satisfaction. We look for it on earth, but the problem is we can't find it. The best that the earth can do is remind us in some small way that it exists. Lewis says the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols breaking the heart of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country that we have never visited. See, what we are looking for is eternal life. And that's the eternal life that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, I've come not only to give you eternal living, but eternal life. And the reason that Jesus has the ability to give eternal life is because he is life itself. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The book of Colossians says of Jesus, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, Jesus is the divine spark that brings life into this world. Jesus is saying that I am life. And he's also saying that I am God. Look in verse 29. My father who has given to them, them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Well, Jesus just said a little while ago, right, that no one can snatch them out of my hand. And now he says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, Jesus is saying, when you are in my hand, you are in the Father's hand. And when you are in the Father's hand, you are in my hand. Because I and the Father are one. Now, they're not the same person. We know that. But what Jesus is saying is that we are the same essence, God the Father and me. We are both God. We have the same power, the same majesty, the same beauty, the same wisdom. We are aligned perfectly with one another. When you are seeing me, Jesus is saying, you are seeing the Father. Now think a little bit about that. How old is God the Father? Well, he's infinite. He always has been. If that is so, that means Jesus is infinite, right? When there was the Big Bang, Jesus was there. In fact, he was the one that created it. How powerful is God the Father? It is said that in one second, 
our sun produces enough energy for almost 500,000 years of civilization's needs in one second. And that's just one average star out of uh, one septillion stars. That's 24 zeros. If the Father is that powerful, that means that Jesus is that powerful. See, when we look at Jesus, we tend to just see a man. He looks like us. He talks like us. He moves like us. And to be sure, he is a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he is also God. Jesus is saying, don't be fooled into thinking I am just like you because I look like you. I am life and I'm God. You remember when we all used to carry around those big SLR cameras with the lenses and everything? Still some people do. But everybody else has reverted to this, right? The iPhone with its camera. Even I can use the iPhone with its camera. And the reason I can is because it's very simple. You call up the camera app and you go ahead and choose who you want to take a picture of and you touch right on that and this little yellow box comes around it, right? It brings it into focus. And then the rest of the picture works out fine. See, we need to get Jesus into the right focus. These people couldn't see Jesus because they didn't have the right focus. They saw him as a mere political tool. So my question for you today is this. How do you see Jesus? Is he just a man? A teacher that gives us good advice on how to live? Maybe a good example how we should model our behavior? But he doesn't have the ability to do anything about my current situation or address the deepest needs of my heart. No, we have to get Jesus in focus. Jesus is God. And that means he has all authority, all power. He has complete control over all of the events and affairs of this life, including your life. He is all wise. And that means he knows how to run my life. He knows what I need, and he knows what is best of me. So I can trust him, because Jesus Christ is in control. But Jesus is not only God, he is life. He did not come simply to fix our circumstances and give us a better life. He came to give us eternal life. To satisfy that deep longing in our hearts that we cannot find here. So let us look to him and stop looking to other things that cannot fulfill the longing. If you want to know God and you want to know life, then follow Jesus. So we must know his identity to live without fear. But this brings me to my second point, that we must know his promise. Notice that Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time trying to convince those who are not his sheep who he is. Because Jesus has come for his sheep. He has come to rescue them. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
We've already talked about the fact that he gives eternal life, but notice this term, that they will never perish. See, if life is more than living, then death is more than dying. For many of us, we think that death is simply lights out. It's over, roll the credits, everything fades to black. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that death is a time for judgment on your life. And the Bible is also very clear that the soul who sins is the one who dies. Death is eternal separation from God and eternal punishment for sin. You see, God created the world and us in the world to be perfect. And God put into each one of our lives, into our hearts, his greatest commandment to love him with all of our mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Think a little bit about that second command. The person who is sitting right next to you, to your left or to your right, we were created and designed to love them with every bit of the intensity and intentionality as ourselves. How much do I love myself? A lot. So what would life look like if we actually did this? If we actually loved each other as we loved ourselves? I don't think there would be loneliness. I don't think there would be oppression. I don't think there would be war. So why is there such misery on planet Earth? Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it makes God angry. And it offends his holiness. See, there must be punishment for sin, or God is not just. Now, you may say, why is God punishing us for sins that we commit against other people? The reason God would punish someone for eternity, for temporal sins committed on earth, is based on who the sin is against not on the size of the sins. Let me illustrate. If I were to walk up to you and slap you, you might get angry or even take a swing at me. But probably our relationship would be done, right? Now, if I were to walk up to the President of the United States and to slap him, I would be arrested. And I would probably spend years in jail. Why would the exact small offense get a different result? It's because of who it's against, right? Likewise, when we move up the chain of command to an infinite God of the universe, it isn't difficult to see the consequences are amplified infinitely as well. Therefore, eternal punishment in hell fits the crime of who it is against. Like it or not, when we sin, we sin against God. He is holy and he is righteous. And since our offense is against an infinitely holy God, the consequence is likewise infinite. And that is why hell exists. See, we are under a death sentence. But notice what this scripture says. That Jesus has come for his sheep to give them eternal life and to rescue them from perishing. And how does Jesus do that? By perishing 
in our place. See, Jesus has called himself the good shepherd, but there is another name which Jesus is called by. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This comes from the Exodus, from the Old Testament. Remember when God's anger broke out over mankind in Egypt and God was going to slay the firstborn. But he had mercy on the Israelites and he said, take a spotless lamb and put its blood on the door. And when I see the blood, because that lamb has been sacrificed, I will pass over it and I will not kill those who are within. Jesus died on the cross so that we would never have to face the wrath of God. So that our sin might be paid for. So that our souls would not perish when we die and our bodies would be resurrected. And notice what he says. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has come to restore our relationship with him. And to draw us close. He takes us in his hand. And he protects us. And he watches over us. And none can take away our salvation. And God watches over our lives. Indeed, the Bible says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. And so I can live a life if I am a Christian that is free of fear because I am in the hand of Jesus Christ and he is watching over me. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I'm not only in Christ's hand, I'm in the father's hand. I am as a child of God. God loves me and guides me and protects me. And because I am in his hand, I can live a bold, fearless life. I lost my father about five years ago to Alzheimer's. And I often think of my father fondly. We had a good relationship. And I remember when I was growing up as a little kid, one of the things that I loved about my father was his hands. He had big hands. He was an all-American catcher in college. They were hands like a catcher's mitt. They were big and they were strong. And when I was young and I was feeling small and feeling scared, I would just lean into my father. And my father would take his hands and he would put them around me. And when he wrapped me in his hands, I knew I was safe. I knew that none could harm me because my father had me. See, we're all looking for a place of safety, a place of acceptance, a place of belonging. Jesus has come to rescue us and to give us eternal life. He has come to bring us to the father and to hold us in his hands. You know, hands can be used to punish and hands can be used to protect. So how do we know that Jesus' hands will protect us? We know it by the scars from the nails in them. For Christ died for sins once for all, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So we must respond to Jesus' voice when he says, follow me. Trust me with your life. Give me your hopes and your dreams, your fears and your future. For I will give you life and none can snatch you out of my hand. Are you living in fear, abandoned and alone? Do you feel that you are on your own and nobody is watching out for you? Trust in Jesus Christ. We can live without fear because our Savior and our Heavenly Father has us in their hands and no one can snatch us out of them. Jesus is the Son of God who has come to rescue us. So trust in him and be saved. This brings me to my final point, to accept his offer. You may be a Christian, and you may not be a Christian. You may be a seeker who's just come here today to hear about this person called Jesus Christ. Well, these people are not getting it. And so Jesus makes an offer to them. In verse 37, he says, I am, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. In other words, stop and look at what I've been doing. Look at my life. If my life does not reflect the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. See, what Jesus is saying is you don't have to believe and follow simply because of the fact that you are my sheep and hear my voice. You can use your own intellect. You can look at the evidence and make a decision based on evidence. See, some people think that Jesus is some sort of fairy tale. I have to take a leap of faith. I have to believe against all logic and reason. And Jesus is saying that's not true. He's saying, if God were to come to earth, would he act any different than me? When you think about that, has there been anyone in human history that has affected the world more than Jesus Christ? I close with these words from a pastor about Jesus. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. Until he was 30, he worked in a carpenter shop, and then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He wrote no books. He held no office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He had no credentials but himself. The authorities condemned his teaching. His friends deserted him. One denied him. One betrayed him to his enemies for a paltry sum, the price of a slave. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he owned on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and yet today he is the crowning glory of the human race, the adored leader of billions of the earth's inhabitants. And it is true to say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as much 
as that one solitary life. Why does Jesus say this? Because the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Have you looked closely and carefully at the person of Jesus Christ? Because in the end, only one question matters. You must answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? An ordinary man? A gifted teacher? Or God himself? For his promise is for any who would trust in him. He says to them who believe, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you want to live a fearless life, follow the God of the universe, our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that though you're God, you came to earth and you became a servant and humbled yourself, becoming obedient to, to death, even death on a cross. God, I pray that we might follow you, trust in you as we are held in your hands and no one can snatch us out of them. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.